you know, to quote the Chris Rock bit, you know, you don't want a brain surgeon or a pilot that completes his job and does the job successfully, quote unquote, most of the time. We should strive for perfection and to shore up these holes in our system. Will we achieve perfection? Probably not. Nothing's perfect, right? But there seems to be like a complacency with just the way things are. That's the way the system is. That's the way shit works. It's like, nah, man, a piece of shit like that shouldn't be out on the street. What up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 217 of the Spun Today podcast. And in this episode, I speak about the untimely death of battle rap legend Pat Stay. I speak about Adnan Syed being released from prison after 23 years. And I also speak about watching the Oscar winning short film, two distant strangers lastly i wrap it all up with some details about a recent trip to the dominican republic stay tuned for all of that good stuff but first here is a way that you can help support the spun today podcast if you so choose this podcast is only supported by listeners just like you if you'd like to contribute in some way financially or otherwise here is a way that you can do just that and then we'll jump right into the episode if you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? SpunToday.com forward slash questionnaire. The battle rap legend Pat Stay has sadly died at the age of 36. Here's an excerpt from a piece that CNN put out. And as usual, any articles or references that I make in my episodes, I try to link to them to the source material in the episode notes so that you find folks can read it or view it in its full context, if you so choose. Quote, rapper Pat Stay has died following a stabbing incident in Nova Scotia, Canada, according to regional police. He was 36. The incident happened in downtown Halifax early Sunday morning, September 4th, 2022. Police discovered stay with stab wounds and transported him to a nearby hospital where he later died, end quote. Now, other accounts of the incident that I've heard were that he was trying to break up a fight at this yacht club party that he was at and that the person who allegedly killed him stabbed him up while he was on the dance floor and Pat made his way outside of the club um, where he collapsed and then uh, that's where he was later found by the police. In another article by All Hip Hop, they state that, quote, in a press release distributed on Sunday afternoon, police say 
they have arrested but not yet charged a 31 year old man in relation to the homicide death on the 1600 block of lower water street end quote now the dude that's in custody his name is adam drake and here's his rap sheet which is mind-boggling how someone like this is out on the street but that just goes to show and highlight the the holes within our criminal justice system and i know canada is obviously not the same as the united states but i think in this case it's very relatable adam drake in 2013 was charged with attempted murder and about a dozen other charges and the victim in that case uh, refused to cooperate and the charges were forced to be dropped because the victim refused to cooperate then in 2016 he was about to stand trial for a first degree murder charge and prior to the case a quote-unquote reasonable prospect of conviction did not exist according to the da and the charges were again dropped and this shit pisses me off on multiple levels because it feels like based on those very serious charges this dude was able to be free and walk the streets based on technicalities and I know our criminal justice system gets it right more than it gets it wrong. And again, I know that this is Canada versus the US, which is where my main frame of reference is coming from. But I feel that we shouldn't be okay with getting it right, quote unquote, most of the time. You know, to quote the Chris Rock bit, you know, you don't want a brain surgeon or a pilot that completes his job and does the job successfully, quote unquote, most of the time. We should strive for perfection and to shore up these holes in our system. Will we achieve perfection? Probably not. Nothing's perfect, right? But there seems to be like a complacency with just the way things are. That's the way the system is. That's the way shit works. It's like, nah, man, a piece of shit like that shouldn't be out on the street. And obviously I'm going to be on the Pat Stay side of things just because I've been a fan of his and a battle rap in general for many years. So objectively, I know that I'd be biased if this was some sort of, you know, more than what has been reported and rumored of it just being in, you know, an altercation at a club, a random act. If it did come to light that there was some like background story there and some beef, obviously I'd be in the Pat Stay quote unquote camp due to my bias. But I think I'm able to keep the same objective take and maintain the same energy all around in terms of that guy being a piece of shit has a track record of being a piece of shit and is overdue and deserving of everything he has coming to him for those of you who don't know who pat stay is or perhaps aren't battle rap fans he was arguably canada's number one battle rapper and i hesitantly say arguably because in the conversation of canada's battle rap scene he's going to be most folks one or two kotd king of the dot is one of the biggest battle rap leagues that are out there worldwide and some might even argue he's one of the best battle rappers period across you know any league any forum smack rbe etc he was definitely one of my favorites because he could write on so many levels he was funny in a way that would disarm his opponents and obviously entertain the fuck out of the crowd super funny he can match you with gun bars ignorant shit braggadocious shit he'll sprinkle messages and life lessons throughout his raps he'd write really introspective verses as well he was even good at like the 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 nice battles 
which are kind of corny, but from a creative writing perspective, I think it shows like a different layer of cleverness and creativity. So I, I appreciate them from that perspective. But for those of you who don't know, like a nice battle would be where you can only say nice shit about your opponent. He was even good at that. And he was so big within his space that he had a lot of hip hop heavyweights weighing in on what happened, tweeting about him, putting out videos about him, like Eminem, Royce the Five Nine, Wyclef, Method Man, Joel Ortiz, Drake, obviously who's like a staple within that that Canadian KOTD rap league. And, you know, he's always going to different um, battle rap events and shit. So it's cool to see. It's cool. And by cool, you know, I mean, obviously within this like very sad, we all wish this didn't happen scenario, but it's cool to see the hip hop community, the battle rap community coming together, uh, his peers showing respect and and like Matt, the Math Hoffas, for example, did a dope um, tribute episode on his podcast, which I'll link to in the episode notes. And I think that's one of the biggest testaments of someone's contribution to their craft to have your your peers respect and revere you while you're here and even after you're gone. And that to me is a true testament to how ill he was. And I missed this entire news, by the way. That's why I'm, I'm putting this out kind of late. It happened on September 4th. This episode's coming out on September 29th because uh, I was in vacation uh, uh, to DR for a couple weeks and was like unplugged from, from things. And the way I caught it actually was through one of Goods' posts, those like um, in the car impromptu freestyles that, that he does and, and puts on IG. And Good said something to the effect of RIP Pat stay. And then I, w- I was thinking, I was like, what? Why do you say that? Like, did, they, did I miss a battle of theirs? And he like 3-0'd them? Or like, what's going on there? The past day, like recently battled somebody and got 3-0'd or so. Like, I thought it was something like that. And then I like Googled RIP Pat stay. And then I see like all the news like flooding in, obviously. Sad shit, man. There is a GoFundMe for his family. You know, Pat stay had two small kids. The picture of the GoFundMe is fucking heartbreaking. Reminds me of my kids. Just like came hugging his son. And it's just fucking sad. Heartbreaking, man. Um, I will link to that in the episode notes as well. So you can support and contribute. Folks have contributed over like $200,000 already. My understanding is that that's going directly to his wife and kids and like his family. And I definitely recommend just checking out some of his work. His battles where he was a behemoth. Like I just went over some of his commercial stuff. He recently actually put out a a diss to game because game, you know, publicly like this Eminem and shit. And Pat's they put out like a music video about a, a week or two before his death, dissing the game. And I'll actually link to in the episode notes a dope compilation of all his best rounds within battle rap. And there's a bunch. Like every battle rapper has like tons and tons, like dozens of different compilations of like their funniest bars, their hardest bars, uh, their best rounds, etc. But this is a dope one called best bars from pat stay r.i.p legend goat i'll link to that in the episode notes and let me just give a shout out to the channel the dude that put it out uh spasmatic entertainment i think this is a really good compilation because it shows his range it shows like the funny shit the hard shit old stuff new stuff it'll give you a good sense of his place within battle rap which will be forever cemented in my opinion rest in peace pat stay my condolences to his family the suck a free boss. Look at you go.
Adnan Syed is out. He is free for the time being. And for those of you who may not know, let me take a step back. Adnan Syed was the subject of the first, the inaugural season of the Serial Podcast. And the Serial Podcast is, or was, or is, arguably, one of the biggest podcasts ever, especially season one. I think it kind of fell off in subsequent seasons. And in my opinion, created this the whole true crime genre within podcasting, or at least gave it like a huge push. It was investigated and, or the story was investigated and hosted by Sarah Koenig. And I'm sure, you know, it was again, one of the biggest podcasts ever. So I'm sure folks have their own, you know, connections to it. Me personally, the story hit home even more because it was about high school kids in 1999. I was a high school kid in in 1999. The story also came out around the time that I was starting my podcast, the Today podcast back in 2014. I had been doing it already for a bit, but it's right around that, that same time, I believe, because I started the Today podcast in September of 2014. And the Serial Podcast came out in the fall of 2014. So yeah, right around the same time. And let me give you the synopsis of the first episode for those of you who may have been living on the rock for the past decade. Episode number one of season one is called The Alibi. And it states, it's Baltimore, 1999. Heyman Lee, a popular high school senior, disappears after school one day. Six weeks later, detectives arrest her classmate and ex-boyfriend, Adnan Syed, for her murder. He says he's innocent though he can't exactly remember what he was doing on that January afternoon. But someone can. A classmate at Woodlawn High School says she knows where Adnan was. The trouble is, she's nowhere to be found. And it was just so brilliantly delivered, the story was, so well investigated by Sarah Koenig from a journalistic perspective, so thoughtfully presented from a podcast perspective like to such a high level of quality and in such a high level of quality and consideration and the not to be disrespectful or or anything to all the parties involved but the entertainment value of it was through the roof again a testament to the whole you know true crime genre you know how we're, we're all gravitated towards these kinds of stories but that attention garnering delivery is what couple decades since his incarceration ultimately helps lead to Adnan getting out of prison. And again, the Serial Podcast, it's a great first season. I'll link to the website in the episode notes so that you guys can listen to all the episodes there or, you know, add it to your podcatcher of your choice, Spotify, iTunes, etc. But it's a series that I listen to every so often. I remember when it came out, I would listen to every episode instantly as soon as it came out. I think it was like every other Wednesday or Thursday. They would air a new episode. It was a total of 12 episodes. I re-listened to all 12 episodes several times. I try to go back and re-listen, I think like every like year or two, just because it's so good. And there's now 13 episodes because Sarah Koenig put out another episode after the news of Adon getting out. It was all over the news. Um, I'm sure you guys, if you know, you were a follower of Serial or this story in general, um, it would have come across your radar through either the, the New York Times or social media or Yahoo 
or just podcasts in general. And I'll link to some of that stuff uh, within the episode notes. But I wanted to share just a few takeaways of why after so many years he's let out, because there have been motions filed and appeals that have fallen through, et cetera, over the years. So why now? What happened now? And here are some of the things that Sarah highlights during episode 13 of that first season of the Serial Podcast, which again is an episode that was recently recorded along with the news of Adnan being out. Well, before I jump into this, just uh, something that I just remembered that is definitely worth mentioning in terms of like the delivery of the Serial Podcast. It's so well crafted because along with Sarah's reporting and, you know, narrating of everything, she has interviews with all you know the main people from you know Adon's like circle of friends and Heyman Lee's circle of friends you know they were you know friends and a couple um in high school like they were together on and off and they had the same circle of, of friends and she interviewed she has interviews with all these people she has the court case excerpts and you can hear the actual like audio from the court case when he initially got arrested she has that interview with uh, a girl whose name is escaping me right now but that had written adding on the letter after he got arrested saying, hey, why didn't you tell them that that you were with me in the library that day? Um, and you weren't with Hay. Um, I remember seeing you there. Did you forget? We, we were there talking, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Which was like the same exact time that they were saying uh, Heyman Lee's like time of death. So he clearly had an alibi. But that information like wasn't included in the original court case. And it was just like so much shit that again makes you wonder how holes like this are allowable within the criminal justice system but i digress it's just amazingly narrated and delivered and and definitely worth worth a, worth a listen but anyway so there's someone by the name of becky feldman and someone by the name of mrs Souter. i don't remember which one is which but one of them is his new attorney if i'm not mistaken and they took on uh Adon's case this new attorney and they wanted to go through all the the case evidence from the original trial so they go to where that's stored i'm assuming somewhere like within the state or something like that and she was pretty much told here it's these 17 boxes go through whatever you want make copies of whatever you want etc she starts going through these 17 boxes goes through like the first seven of them makes a bunch of copies and then heads back to her office to you know start going through things and seeing you know, what she can add to this case, what she can discover that possibly wasn't brought forth or brought forth properly. And she comes uh, across a bunch of like handwritten notes about potential alternate suspects. And these are notes from the detectives investigating the case from and from the prosecution side, you know, prosecuting against Adnan. And get this, the notes showed a couple of potential alternate suspects one of which had a motive to kill Heyman Lee and literally threatened to kill Heyman Lee. The other suspect, for those of you who are, are familiar with the, the case, Hayes' car, where she was killed in her car, she was strangled in her car, was missing. And it was found like next to or behind the house of this other potential suspect, none of which are had on side, which is her ex-boyfriend, which was in jail for 23 years. 23 years. I'm going to underscore and highlight that. Now, this is how she ultimately gets him out. That information was never presented or given to the, the defense. And as we all know from watching My Cousin Vinny, that's funny how that's 
like literally the extent of my legal knowledge. <laughs> but the defense and the prosecution have to share with each other all the evidence and stuff that they have on a particular case because they are both, even though they're on either side of the case, one is prosecuting, one is defending, they are both in the joint pursuit of justice, quote unquote. The fact that the prosecution did not hand over this information is something called a Brady violation. And based on that, based on that happenstance of her choosing those seven out of the 17 boxes to go through, and then within those seven boxes, choosing those particular handwritten notes to like photocopy and take back to her office, and then choosing or finding and pinpointing that information within all the stacks of paperwork. Based on all that, this Brady violation was discovered and with that a motion was filed and upheld by a judge to let Adon out of prison and now the next steps are going to be if they're a going to retry him or b just drop all charges altogether the motion also shows which is where the like previous motions and appeals uh fell through and were a bit light that the star witness testimony of Jay Wilds, which is was a friend of Adnan's, that if you listen to the podcast, had this really shaky story of what he knew and what he didn't know. And he did happen to know where Heyman Lee's car was, but he made up this wild shit uh, of borrowing Adnan's car and borrowing Adnan's phone one day. And that, you know, Adnan showed him Heyman's uh, dead body and said, you know, She's with somebody else or something like that. So I'm going to kill her and like just made up a whole bunch of shit. And there was so many holes within his story that were really clear through like the interrogation uh, tapes, which again, uh, Sarah Koenig put out. And it was like, there was like so many like leading questions. And it's like one of those sadly common stories of, again, there's another issue within like the legal justice system of, you know, put somebody in an interrogation room for X amount of time and they'll tell you whatever you, you want them to tell you just like a matter of time like people break right no sleep no food no water no you know just like leading leading questions also you know iq plays a factor and you know being a child being a young kid impressionable and you have you know two you know two cops playing good cop bad cop with you literally telling you no wait don't you mean this no wait don't you mean that pausing the the tape then re-recording and just a whole bunch of wild shit anyway Adnan went to jail based on that uh, star witnesses, star witnesses testimony. And the second thing that put him away was phone records, which literally stated at the time, um, like on the actual phone records, uh, it stated something to the effect, like from the phone company, you know, pinged towers cannot be reliably used as a location of where a phone call was made. Because if, if you make a phone call, it like pings a nearby cell tower, like a satellite, and it, you know, beams your call request to the other phone or whatever. But it literally stated that on the phone records that they're not reliable sources of, you know, location. But they use that, those phone records to say, this is where Adnan was. This is where he was making calls from. He was here. Heyman, his phone pinged the cell tower here. That's close enough to Heyman's body. He had X amount of time to go between here and there. And if I remember correctly, they also, let's say there were like 10 phone calls made, um, you know, off the top of my head, they used like three of those phone calls and ignored the other seven phone calls that were like miles away. 
and said, see, these three phone calls, these are the ones where we're submitting as evidence. And he made these, you know, close enough to around the same time that she died. And it was close enough to around where we found her, her body, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, that motion that shows that Brady violation also shows that the Jay Wilds testimony, as well as those phone records, which were the only two things that put him in jail in the first place, no longer hold up. So all that together got Adnan out of jail. And here's something that uh, within uh, the New York Times article, the person interviewing her posed this question to Sarah Kane again, and I think she summed it up perfectly. He asks, the latest events in this case are reminiscent of the fallout from In the Dark, quote unquote, which is a podcast whose reporting helped free Curtis Flowers, a Mississippi man who'd been jailed for more than 20 years for murders he evidently did not commit. Wrongful conviction seems to be a major problem in the U.S. What parts of Syed's case do you think are systemic? He posed this question again to Sarah Koenig, the host of the Serial Podcast. And she replied, where to begin? Questionable interrogation tactics and tunnel vision by police. An overtaxed system that fails to properly interrogate evidence. So I just want to pause there real quick. Those first two are, again, the interrogation tactics that we were just speaking about, um, the tunnel vision uh, of police, which I want to highlight as the incentives to, because if you're a cop, it's a job, right? Like like any other job and not like any other job, but like downplaying it, like it's something easy to do. It's obviously very hard to do if you do it correctly. If you do, you know, you care about your job, you care about people, you care about justice. It's a heroic undertaking, but it's what I mean by it's like any other job you have people that are good at it you have people that are bad at it and everyone in between when you in any job especially one like this where the stakes are so high have incentives in place for closing cases locking people up you're opening up the possibility for fuckery for the people to fuck with the data to skew the numbers if you will and those incentives could be anything from getting off from work early getting off the street early because you could just go back to the office file some and you know say you're working on paperwork for eight hours even though it really takes you like two hours so you get like six hours free you know quotas that certain departments and certain cops have things like this are all different types of incentives right that type of structure shouldn't exist within these this type of work in my opinion because again it leads to the possibility of that type of fuckery and cops again getting tunnel visioned in this is the kid that I think did it. I know we have these other two potential suspects, but it makes much more sense. The story's easier to tell if we say the ex-boyfriend did it because he's jealous that she now has another boyfriend. So let's not pursue the other ones. Let's pin it on this kid. And we have enough evidence that clearly we can use to make this an open shut case and we get the kudos for it and whatever, again, incentives come with that, come with making it an open shut case. Now, going back to Sarah Koenig's response, so she says the tunnel vision by police and overtax system that fails to properly interrogate evidence. Again, this shit of this is one of my biggest gripes to the criminal justice system. And it does stem from the fact that the system is overtaxed. There's not enough judges, not enough lawyers, apparently not enough time to, you know, thoroughly enough investigate every single case. That's be like some level of like efficiency and flow to these processes. But when it's over overtaxed to the point where certain types of evidence can't be submitted because of like technicalities and the wrong paperwork and oh you wrote this on the green sheet of paper instead of the pink sheet of paper 
so it's inadmissible or this that and the other like all the other legal mumbo jumbo jargon shit that leaves out pertinent information and real evidence like the fact of these two other potential suspects with which seem very much so to be the ones that really did this then that's a fault in the system that's something that shouldn't be right it shouldn't be that way what the fix is exactly i don't know i'm more so here highlighting problems right not not offering solutions which isn't a good thing but i guess i would start by heavier deterrence when there is something like this brady violation like the people involved in that directly involved in that uh, brady violation you know you didn't do your job properly as a prosecuting attorney and didn't hand over this evidence you're disbarred period you're no longer a lawyer you can no longer practice law find them you know see how that works in terms of level of deterrent and then if that still doesn't work and you still have all this fuckery going on in the future impose jail sentences if you need to like they need to that can't just be like oh you had a brady violation a slap on the wrist oh that was 10 years ago oops my bad you know oh that was 23 years ago somebody's been in jail because i decided not to do my job properly and let the defense know that there were these other suspects like not that that can't be you know what i mean like you need strong enough deterrence to deter that type of behavior which again is an incentive from the prosecutor side prosecution side because they want to win the case obviously just like the defense wants to win the case but the prosecution had that incentive of let me not tell them about these two suspects so it can be an open shut case and i can win my case those incentives man are a motherfucker you gotta align them up properly to align with justice versus aligning with winning and losing anyway so back to Sarah Koenig's response. She says, uh, an overtax system that fails to properly interrogate evidence, prosecutors withholding evidence from the defense, our country's tolerance for insanely long prison sentences, juveniles treated as adults when science tells us they aren't. I'm assuming she's alluding to there the fact that our like prefrontal cortex doesn't fully form until the age of 24, 25, I believe, which is where... We get like our reasoning and logic from uh, there's something to be said to that although i am also of the mindset of it depends if you do commit an atrocious enough act it's like sorry kid you're fucked like you fucked up your life your life's done then she goes on to say racism and also how grindingly difficult it is to get the system to take another look at your case once you've been convicted which is a another huge probably like my second biggest gripe with the criminal justice system it's like you have to again go through the certain specific legal loops or hoops rather in order to get a, a case re-looked at which again is a testament to how overtaxed the system is they don't want to keep retrying cases you know they're the system is clogged up as is which is i guess you can you can say a root cause to like that specific issue but it shouldn't be the case it shouldn't be that you can only retry you know, based on those like two specific things, which is one, if you can prove ineffective counsel at the time of your case or prove that there was some evidence at the time, evidence that could have been used at the time that wasn't, because then it leaves out evidence that, you know, like future evidence that gets discovered. And it's like, ah, you know, that based on the technicality that evidence didn't exist back then so you would have went to jail anyway it's like no motherfucker like look here's the proof it didn't exist then i don't give a fuck it exists now like i'm innocent you know what i mean it's like pisses me off uh then she goes on to say again and speaking to all the things that are wrong with the system prosecutors and cops who don't police themselves 
and then double down when they're accused of doing something wrong. And then she ends it with, it's pretty much, you name it, this case has it. And this case really did have all of that shit. One of the two suspects, by the way, were or are in jail now on uh, sexual assault charges. One of them, again, to reiterate, literally had a motive and told Heyman Lee that they were going to kill her. Speaking of like the detectives uh, uh, not holding themselves accountable, one of the two detectives that that were in charge of investigating the Adnan case, uh, he was accused of fabricating evidence, manipulating evidence, not following up on evidence, pointing to a different suspect and not showing exculpatory evidence in another case um, around the same time that Adnan's case was going on, which again goes to show the drive and the incentive to close your case for whatever reason like it's your job to close cases your incentive is going to be to close the cases especially if that you're incentivized by other things like i mentioned before like extra vacation time less time on the street less time doing paperwork so on and so forth trivial trivial shit ultimately but yeah shout out to serial shout out to the power of podcasts shout out to the attorneys and judges who do their jobs well do it in the right way with the right intentions Shout out to Adnan, who after 23 years is out and with his family. And I hope that that I mean, on one side, I want to say that I, I hope they just drop the charges altogether because I just believe he's innocent. But uh, I know you can't you shouldn't base something like that based on belief. But at the very least, I want I hope that if the case gets retried, it's well intentioned without the ulterior motives of let's just pin it on Adnan because it's a. It's a black eye. It's a blemish on the Baltimore Police Department and DA's office, etc. And that they are once and for all able to achieve true justice to the main victim of this entire situation, which is Heyman Lee, who lost her life and whose killer or killers may have been roaming free for the past 23 years. And the last thing I'll say about it is a quote from Sarah Koenig which kind of underscores my main gripe again with the criminal justice system and just like the fact that this type of thing can happen. Um, And she mentioned this on, on the podcast and she said, quote, everything known now was known or knowable in 1999, but we built a system that takes 20 plus years to self-correct. Two Distant Strangers is an incredible short that won the Oscar last year in 2021 for Best Live Action Short Film. It was written by Trayvon Free and directed by Trayvon Free and Martin Desmond Rowe. And here's the official synopsis. A man trying to get home to his dog gets stuck in a time loop that forces him to relive a deadly run-in with a cop. It's available on Netflix, by the way. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. And it's about half hour long. So definitely a quick watch. And I super highly recommend it. It stars Joey Badass, which for those of you who don't know, is a Brooklyn rapper who also acts, clearly. And what I, I was first put on to his music, which I appreciate randomly, just like going through like old like uh, 90s hip hop and like stuff like that. Like one of those like playlists on, on Apple and 90s 2000s i forget like the the name of 
link the playlist but he came up even though he's like a 20 something year old almost 30 year old rapper you know he's a, a modern day rapper but he definitely raps in the 90s 2000s like type of style like if you would have told me that uh yo listen to to this rapper he's um you know the 18th member of wu-tang or some shit i would have believed you it's definitely like my kind of hip-hop says like thought-provoking shit something to think about and has a dope 90s 2000s like type of vibe his latest album uh titled 2000 is really good too definitely check it out but i was also put on to him on the acting side when i was watching that show mr robot which i have broken down here on the Spun today podcast in the past and also i featured a scene from mr robot starring joy badass recently uh within one of my or as rather one of my videos of the week in my free weekly newsletter that you can all subscribe to at spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe so it's starting him it's also starting andrew howard which is that russian mafioso from the movie limitless if you guys remember with bradley cooper who played a really cool character and it stars zaria zaria simone and basically joey badass's character carter wakes up in this girl's apartment that he clearly spent the night with they hooked up from the night before didn't know each other before then that girl is zaria and they're you know kicking it in the morning just shooting the shit a little bit um as he's getting ready to leave and then he goes outside and he's in this nice neighborhood i you know it gave me kind of like upper west side manhattan type vibes and andrew howard's character officer merc uh starts fucking with joy badass like you know he's just standing outside puts his headphones in sparks a cigarette and merc starts fucking with him you know because there was actually a guy walking by with coffee and joy badass went to put his book back on and like knocked into the guy's coffee and it went on his shirt and he like apologized to the guy said he'll give him money uh, for his dry cleaning or something like that they you know they exchanged some words the guy was pissed and the guy the guy left and then the cop came over because he heard like that commotion he was like is something wrong here and he was like no you know everything's fine whatever and then the cop just like kept fucking with joy badass and he was like let me see what's in your bag and he was like you can't do that like i know my rights and the cop was like i know your rights too let me see your fucking bag and just like starts overstepping his boundaries as bad cops do and joey badass you know tries to like walk away the cop threatens him tells him not to walk away from him and throws him up against the wall starts searching him he's like hey you can't do this you can't do this what are you doing and and he's uh resisting and there's a lady there nearby selling fruit and she you know pulls out her phone and starts recording she says what are you doing you didn't do anything leave him alone you know all all this commotion and stuff going on and joey badass's character not complying is like enraging him more and more and you see the police officer get more and more upset at just like being on the wrong side of this this agreement and winds up calling in for backup and a couple other cops come and they might wind up choking him and you know he's on the ground face down and officer Merck is choking him and he has like this maniacal look on his face and he's just like keeps choking him and joey badass's character starts to say i can't breathe i can't breathe and it's obviously reminiscent of the eric garner case here in new york who was choked out in a similar fashion it's also reminiscent of the george floyd of more recent history and he dies then the movie or the short film rather loops back and he wakes up and he's back in zaria's apartment just waking up the same way he did before and he's having like the weirdest case of deja vu everything that we saw happen is like rehappening again in the apartment he goes outside sees the same person walking in 
sees the same person walking down the block, sees the same cop, Officer Merck again. This time he dodges the guy that has the coffee, so nothing happened there. And Officer Merck still comes up to him, starts fucking with him, tells him that you know, like he thinks he's smoking weed, and that it's not really a cigarette. He notices like a wad of money that he has in his pocket and says, well, are you a drug dealer? And a similar thing happens, but he tries to walk away. And then the second time he winds up getting shot because Officer Merck um, sees him like grab either his wallet or or something out of his bag. And he's like, gun, gun. Or 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 he like says, you, oh, you don't go for my gun, like something along those lines. And he winds up shooting him and killing him, which was reminiscent to me of the Philando Castile case. If you guys remember that, it was the guy that was in his car and passenger seat or in his girlfriend's car. His girlfriend was driving a four year old kid in the back and he had a permit for a weapon told this clearly an experienced officer that he does have a weapon on him but he has a permit for it and the officer obviously clearly overreacted wind up wound up shooting him to death in the passenger seat with the four-year-old in the back and his fiance girlfriend uh live streaming it on facebook the entire time uh so this instance of police brutality was reminiscent of that then same thing happens after he dies he wakes up in the girl's bed again and now he's catching on to like what's happening he's like Yo, I'm, I'm like stuck in this weird like loop thing and he's like fuck it I, i'm not even gonna go outside and then you just hear like after a while you know that he's chilling with the girl making breakfast and you see you hear rather banging at the door like hard banging and the girl goes towards the door and it's like police open up and then she like looks through the people and they're about to ram in the door and they do and he has you know they're making making breakfast and he has a knife in his hand it's like a blue you know one of those like kitchen knives it's like clearly like a blue color like a pastel color and it's a knife and they're like gun or they're like weapon weapon and they shoot him and kill him right away instantly and that was clearly reminiscent of the like no knock warrant deaths of like an amir Locke or brianna taylor and then boom he wakes up again in the bed after he dies and then there's just like a montage of like different things happening you know him trying different things each time uh you know coming out and trying something like just like coming out the building and darting down the block and starting to run and then that officer Merck winds up chasing him anyway and like shooting him and killing him or you know a bunch of different things wind up happening and there was a scene actually that, that was kind of funny he was uh in the morning and like the deja vu scenes like the first like two or three times there's a vase that she walks by and she accidentally knocks over and it breaks and then he in by like the fourth or fifth time or something like that he like runs and catches the vase before it drops and she's like okay odell beckham jr with them hands and then he replies look how quickly we forget jerry rice <laughs> and i just thought that was a, a dope line so then he you know he's speaking to her and he's confining her he's like listen i think i'm stuck in this like weird loop thing i have done this before we've done this before i know what you're gonna say this is what's happening this cop keeps killing me and then i wake up here in your room again and she's like have you tried like talking to him and he's like hmm. kind of give him the idea and then he just winds up like going up to him and he goes up to the cop he tells him yo we're in this like deja vu loop and he proves it like with the surroundings and he says, watch, that kid on the skateboard, he's about to fall. Boom. Look at that lady over there. She's about to take a selfie. Boom, it happens. 
look at that guy over there he's about to you know xyz and then officer merc is like looking around he's like are you fucking with me and you know he's like speaking to me he was like no i'm not fucking with you no this is you know it just keeps happening over and over again this is like the hundred hundredth time and the officer in realization he's like so if i shoot you now and this was a dope line that was like uh underscoring the the theme of the story i guess it from my perspective and the cop says in realization he's like so if i sh- shoot you now we're just gonna continue doing it all over and over again and it's kind of like to me a nod to you know the current state of this type of police brutality with when things like that happen and it just seems like a continuing loop and continues to happen over and over again which and i feel like i have to say this if you're listening to this for the first time and you don't know my stance on this uh, type of uh, situation i'll reiterate it reiterate it here but I, i've definitely spoken about like police brutality and shit like that in the past you know the good cops obviously far outweigh the bad cops the these horrible tragic in probably most cases avoidable stories are definitely in the minority compared to like number of interactions that police officers have with the public but even that being the case each one is one too many in my personal opinion and the way you make an honest effort to correct for that is not by defund the police or not by continuing business as usual either it's raising the bar of who can be cops raising the bar of how you assess who can be cops and increasing funding specifically earmarked for better higher quality training but i digress back to the short film so then officer merck decides to leave him alone he walks away turns a corner and winds up getting shot by some other cops so same thing happens again then the next day then you see like a little montage he comes out and he's like yo merck i gotta holla at you and then at this point he's like he just asks merck is like what do you want me to do if you just keep dying anyway and he's like just take me home man all i want to do is get home to my dog because uh, he has a, a pet dog that they they show in the beginning that he like faced times with like on this little doggy treat feeder thing that has a camera and um officer merc agrees and they have small talk along the way and he confides in merc and he starts telling him about the girl that he hooked up with and he's like i think i fall in love too fast or maybe some people just fall in love too slow i thought that was a, a dope line and they have a cool banter back and forth like while they're in the car and they're driving or merc is uh driving him home rather and they speak about you know black neighborhoods uh being over policed that's a uh, carter's perspective then merc's perspective is that he's just putting the bad guys away taking care of the bullies and that you know everybody's responsible for their own choices and you know the, the personal responsibility mantra that's very prevalent i'd say within um law enforcement and you know more conservative thinkers not that there's anything wrong with personal responsibility but i just think it's a lazy blanket term that's applied to too many situations then uh officer merc tells him at one point he's like you know what? you have a you have a way with words kid and to be honest i never spoke to one of you for this long it's interesting and to one of you he means like a black person then at the end they finally get home they shake hands and you see joy badass walking away and then officer merc just starts clapping like ominously you know that those like slow crescendoing claps but just like slow clap slow clap slow clap and then joy badass turns around and he's like and the cop was like in on that like deja vu loop the whole time 
and he you know drove him home and stuff like that and he he was um patronizing him and then he wound up killing him anyway but he like berated him a little bit he was like oh that was your best performance to date you had me going there for a while and then um he kills him and the shot pans up and shows joy badass on the floor and the blood that's pooling on the ground is in the shape of the continent of africa and this whole thing was like symbolic of like no matter what i say or what i do they want to kill me like that was like a, a takeaway there i feel and you know joy badass woke up again in zari's apartment and you know he told her again everything that happened and he says that no matter what no matter how long it takes one way or another i'm getting home to my dog then it shows the flip side of that they just want to kill me no matter what the flip side of that coin of the resilience and tenacity of pressing forward staying positive and doing what you got to do and just a couple more things i thought were were interesting and and a nice touch like throughout the short they had not throughout the entire thing but in certain scenes they had um things will never change playing in the background but not the tupac version the original version and as the credits rolled at the end or before the credits rolled at the end you just start seeing like a list of names and then every like 10 names or so dozens and dozens of names and every like 10 names or so you know some which you you recognize like the tamir rices and eric garners and like the big national attention cases but it's just a list of police brutality case after police brutality case after police brutality case and every like 10 or 15 you'll see like, the reason why the person was killed or where the person was when they were killed like x y and z killed while playing in their backyard so and so killed while, while she was asleep xyz killed during a routine traffic stop etc etc and then after all that after all those went through like credits too at the end there was a quote by tupac that said learn to see me as a brother instead of two distant strangers which is from tupac's version of some things will never change and that folks was my little recap and review of two distant strangers streaming now on netflix check it out now to end this podcast off on a letter note i recently took a family vacation to dominican republic and it was a little scary for me because it's the first time we were taking the kids outside of the country it's definitely the longest plane ride we've done you know a couple smaller trips there were like an hour not even like within the country like when we went to south carolina stuff like that it was the first time out of the country and a longer plane ride with a four-year-old and a two-year-old which by the way both got sick again and i've learned or i'm beginning to learn that that seems to be part to for the course when it comes to traveling with children <laughs> and my aunts were kind of like poking fun in the yard and saying that when i was a kid and i used to go with with my with my parents and my brother to the yard when i was little that i was like always sick and getting sick and shit like that so i guess that's my uh my karma i guess but aside from that we had a dope vacation and had a chance to unwind it was a busy vacation in that you know me being the, the planner that i am pretty much every day we had like something planned to do or like days planned not to do shit really but me being me, even those days I plan. But um, we flew into Santiago, which is where my father-in-law lives. And it was really fun for the kids because it's a house on this big land. And they're able to like just run around and play with the rocks and grass. And 
they see cows on one side roosters on another side and just shit that they're not gonna see here in new york right unless they go to like a zoo or something but um we flew in there on a saturday and then on monday we went to harabacoa which is a near nearby town or city or province i'm not sure what the exact technical breakdown is but uh right and we stayed at a friend's airbnb they rented for a couple days and that was cool because i hadn't been to harabacoa since i was a, a little kid and i remember my my dad took my mom me and my brother there when we were little and it was to surprise my mom because that's where they had their honeymoon and they you know we went while in dr we took a trip just us four over there and it was pretty cool because we got like two different rooms and me and my brother were still little you know i was like little little probably like six or seven or something like that and my brother was probably like 10 or 11 or 12 <laughs> and like we were in one room they were in another but that's my memory of like Harabakoa when I was little and I hadn't been back since and it's like developed more it's definitely more more touristy now we got to go to a couple dope restaurants one of them was Parador Corazón de Jesús which is cool and Harabakoa is like in a like in a mount not mountain because it's not really like mountains in the art but, but it's like a como en una loma and it's like high, higher up like more elevated than the rest of DR and we went to that restaurant which is known for its ribs um, that they, they cook uh, leña style which is like over like wood fire for my hispanically impaired listeners out there and I also got to visit some family there um, a cousin of my mother's first cousin of my mother's which is a priest he is not well he's like in a medical type facility now but um there in Harako, I got to visit him and it was great to see him because i remember when we were little he used to come um he was a priest that like traveled and i have no idea how that works like within the priesthood if you have to be like an ill priest or or what but he was like in demand he would come um to give sermons and like bless a sacrament and saint elizabeth and i remember when i was a kid like nobody likes church right especially when you're a kid let me take that back <laughs> maybe some of you like church but i definitely didn't when i was little and you know we would go on sundays sometimes and just like fall asleep and shit but when he would come and give sermons like i remember like listening and liking it and laughing and he like made it a good time you know what i mean he gave you like sugar with the medicine if you will and he went to germany and to italy and like all, all around the world um and I remember like hanging out with him a bit because he would stay with us when he would come to New York. And it was definitely cool to see him again. It had been a long time. Um, and we also went in Harabacoa to another restaurant that was really dope called La Jamaca de Dios, which is which the translation is uh, God's Hammock. And that shit is like really high up. It's like a super high point within Harabacoa, probably like one of the highest and the mountain just like overlooks the entire town so you're like really high up so it's like scary driving up and even driving down but um not too bad it was like really dope views and the food was great and you just like paying for the scenery basically in a place like that right then what else then we went back to santiago after that and the next day i went to moca and visited uh, a bunch of family there so my, my dad's family from Moga, my mom's family is from Bonao and mainly live in Santo Domingo now. 
but uh, went to Moca, then went back to Santiago, and then from there, like a day or two later, went to Santo Domingo, where we stayed in La Zona Colonial, which is like the historic, colonially historic town, where everything is very quaint and maintained in its ori- original like facades, you know, like all the, the buildings externally like similar to here in new york you have like some historic districts where you you like can't change the facade of a building but the inside could be updated and stuff um you have a lot of that there in that area it's a very touristy like area i hadn't stayed stayed there before you usually like stay with family and stuff like that or or like a resort so it was my first time staying there and seeing that which was pretty cool and while in santo domingo then i got to see the bulk of the family on my mom's side which is where we would always stay uh growing up when we would visit the R, we would like fly into santo domingo and stay with family there so it was really cool to see a bunch of my cousins and like some of the neighbors from my grandparents house that like still live in the in the area all my like aunts and uncles the ones that are still alive um speaking of which also visited the cemetery over there with my grandparents on my mom's side and a couple of my aunts and uncles that have passed where they are and pretty much got to do everything that we set out to do on the trip which was a plus for me because you all know i get off on that stuff right like checking things off of my to-do list and then we went back to drove back to santiago after that and celebrated my wife's birthday with her pops uh which was cool went to a really nice restaurant in santiago the name i forget it though El Tablón, there you go, in Santiago. And it was really good. And I know she was really happy and able to spend her birthday with that, who, again, lives in DR, so we don't see get to see him as often. And the kids, again, you know, even though, you know, they were sick for, for a part of the trip, they, you know, still had a blast and, and probably had, like, the most fun out of everybody. So it's definitely a big plus. Something that I like, too, about a trip like the one we just took, which is, you know, not like the traditional go to a resort within a country and you kind of sort of just get like a resort type of experience and not like an actual experience of the country, which I get for folks that aren't like native to, to a country like, like, you know, or that has like family or friends or relatives or whatever within a country like we have in DR. But you get m- such a richer experience and exposure to the actual culture of a country when you're not in a resort. You know what I mean? Because like, let's face it, a resort is not what a country is. You know what I mean? Honestly, you take me to a resort in in Punta Cana, you take me to a resort in somewhere in Mexico, in Costa Rica, and fucking the Jersey Shore or some shit. It's literally all the same thing. I wouldn't know the difference. Like maybe the the beach water is like cleaner or nicer in certain areas, but aside from that, the overall experience is very similar. But what I like about this recent trip is one, just driving. Like I think you get to experience a lot of, of a country when, when you drive within it, um, especially, you know, several hours like like I did during this trip. You know, I drove myself from Santiago to Jarabacoa, from Jarabacoa back to Santiago. Uh, I drove to Moca, to La Vega, to Santo Domingo, back to Santiago. Those are like the shortest drive there is like half hour, 45 minutes. Each one, like Zaharoako was like an hour plus to Santo Domingo was two plus hours, etc. And you get to take in 
the country that way you know stopping like rest stops or like just like gasoline stations along the way and stuff like that and just like the scenic stimulation that you get from it and also just doing everyday things with with folks like you're in the house in the town where folks are busy with their with their lives with the ongoings of their everyday life and going to work and coming from work and stopping by to visit and you know you're going to the supermarket which we did several times especially in santiago going to restaurants with the locals etc you get a again a much richer experience than you do from a typical resort like vacation which has its perks too especially in terms of like r and r right like rest and, and restoration or relaxation and restoration i never know what those two r's are but pretty much relaxing and vegging out and shit that's like its own type of vacation but that's definitely a plus and something that i appreciate from this previous trip to dr and i highly recommend that version of travel even if you want to sprinkle in a resort stay in the beginning or at the end of it for a few days but try to get some of that real world firsthand experience whenever you can and then we flew back to new york and back to reality oh wait one another dope restaurant that we went to was El Buche Perico, which was in Santo Domingo in La Zona Colonia. And a cousin of mine uh, met up with us there. So that was good to be able to to see him and chop it up a bit. And that restaurant, my brother told me about it because he had recently gone to DR. It's like on uh, ancient Mayan or Incan or Aztec. I don't know. Ancient Native American ruins. I don't remember which are native to DR, but parts of the floor are like made of glass and you can like like reinforce glass you can see down and underneath it's like the their old like caves and ruins and such there's like a lot of like greenery and trees and plants like throughout the the restaurant and it's pretty cool pretty cool vibe and the food there was off the hook i think that that was some of the best food i think that we had throughout the trip aside from of course all the like home cook meals and stuff like that because you can't beat that and yeah all in all of a very dope successful vacation it was a good idea to disconnect for a bit right anyway folks that is the episode that is episode 217 of the sponsor day podcast i appreciate each and every one of you for listening and i hope that you stick around for a few more minutes just a couple minutes one or two more minutes so that you can listen to a few ways you can help support this show if you so choose. I'd really appreciate it. Helps me keep the lights on. Helps me free up time. Your support does. Helps me uh, free up time to create more episodes and just ultimately dedicate more time to my craft of podcasting, writing, etc. So if you have a minute or two to spare, stick around. I'd really appreciate it. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. 
Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors in all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out. SpunToday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section. We can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full-length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped-up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Spun Today podcast financially, you can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. Here you find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, spuntoday.com forward slash support, click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. 
It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page. And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find the five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? SpunToday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.